Hello, everyone. Welcome to All Things College and Career, the podcast to turn to for all of your college and career planning needs. We are your hosts, Meg Gary and Bobby Ryan, owners of Academic and Career Advising Services located in Kennebunk, Maine. We started this podcast to provide helpful information to listeners researching careers, colleges, or academic majors. Choosing your career or college is such a big decision, which is why our motto is learn before you leap. Before investing a lot of time or money, it's so important to do your research and to really explore your options. Each podcast will offer interesting stories and valuable insights that we think you will find entertaining and informative. Subscribe to our podcast and you'll have it ready to go on your playlist every Monday morning. So learn before you leap each week with us. We're so proud to introduce today's guest, Robin Mamlet. She is the managing partner and practice leader of the executive search firm Whit Kiefer. What initially caught our eye about Robin was that she and Christine Vondavaldi co-authored an amazing book called College Admission from Application to Acceptance Step by Step. We read the book and loved it and thought Robin would be an excellent resource for all of our listeners. So we invited her on the podcast. When Robin wrote the book, she had years of experience in admissions, beginning at her alma mater, Occidental College, then moving on to Sarah Lawrence, Swarthmore, and finally at Stanford University, where she was the Dean of Admissions and Financial Aid. With all of this amazing experience in education under her belt, she stepped into her current role where she directs search assignments for presidents, provosts, vice presidents, and deans for Wick Kiefer's most valued clients. In today's podcast, she shares some great tips on the college admissions process, the changing landscape of college and universities across the nation, and what is required of leaders to bring educational institutions into the future. So let's begin our conversation with Robin. Good morning. Hello, Robin. Welcome to All Things College and Career. Thank you so much for doing the podcast today. Thank you for having me. It's my pleasure. Good morning, Robin. I'm just curious where everybody is today. Um, I'm here in Redondo Beach, California. (laughs) (laughs) I am sitting in my home office um, in Bucks County outside of Philadelphia, and snow is everywhere. Well, and I'm in Kennebunk, Maine, and we have snow everywhere here as well. So. <laughs> so, Robin, for the listeners that don't know who you are, can you please tell us a little bit about yourself? Who are you and what is it that you do? Sure. So um, I have had two careers in my life, and, and they're very much related to one another. So from the, the time I graduated from college and for roughly two dozen years after, I worked in college admission. And I began at my alma mater, Occidental College, and then I worked in the admission office of Pomona College and then served as dean of admission and financial aid at Sarah Lawrence College, the Lawrenceville School, Swarthmore College, and Stanford University. As an admission officer, you spend your time talking with prospective students and their families, recruiting the students of tomorrow, and ultimately working to shape the college student body of the future. So it's a job that is concerned with who goes to college, who gets opportunity, who will become the next generation for any one college or university. And then for the last dozen years or so, I've worked as an executive search consultant within higher education. So uh, my firm, Whit Kiefer, has an education practice. There are almost 50 of us 
that work in this space. And so now, rather than thinking about the next generation of college students, I work with colleges and universities to help them identify and recruit their next generation of institutional leaders. Wow, it seems like a perfect foundation to make that transition. Thank you. I feel very, very lucky. That's important work for sure. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. So as a former dean of admissions at Stanford, Swarthmore, and Sarah Lawrence, these are some of our nation's most selective colleges. What are your, some of your key takeaways about the college admissions process? You know, it's interesting. My impressions of college admission now, and I left Stanford in 2005, but my daughter went through the admission process in 2009, and my son is a high school senior now. So, my son is a high school senior as well. Oh. <laughs> so, I can relate to that. Absolutely. Yeah. Generation Z. Yeah. Is that what it is? Generation Z? That's what I'm told. <laughs> so, I've seen this from a vantage point of multiple decades and from both being an admission officer as well as a parent. And it, you know, my impression is that the process can be consuming, as consuming and stressful as each family is willing to let it be. I think there's only so much that colleges can do to ratchet down the stress. An admission officer's job is to let as many potential students know about that institution as possible. So it's to promote access and to get the word out. And so the more effective admission officers are at doing their jobs, the more students then apply. And so the more selective that college will be. And at the same time, most colleges, all but about 20 to 25 of them, do have room for the majority of good students who are a good fit for them, who work hard at school and seek to think deeply about the world and about their place in it, and who strive to contribute in some way to that world. And so the college admission process, when handled in a way as to minimize uh, extra stress, I think is about identifying a range of colleges that is right for any one student and concentrating on on determining where the fit or alignment is between each individual college and that student and then using the essays and the interview if available or any opportunity for the student to tell their story to illustrate that fit. From what I'm hearing you say, it almost seems like a dean of admissions is almost a marketing position and also that they shouldn't put so much pressure on themselves to be admitted to such a selective institution that there's a place for everyone. I, I do believe that, yes. They always say that the college finds the kid or the kid finds the college that fits. And I know I'm going through that with my son where, sure, who wouldn't want to go to Harvard, right? But, you know, I don't think that's a good fit for him. And I think it's important that the kid is in a school that fits him. I agree. And there are so many great colleges and universities. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. So I do have just a few questions regarding the book you wrote with your co-author, I hope I don't butcher her name, Christine Vondevelde. Yeah, Vondevelde. Um, mm-hmm. Oh, Vondevelde. Okay. And it's called The College Admissions from Application to Acceptance Step by Step, which was an amazing and wonderful book. Thank I read you. it cover to cover. But in your book, you state that there is no secret to admission. So what is it that selective colleges are really looking for? You know, 
They're looking for a range of things depending on their own institutional culture and mission. So what's important is for the student to really do their homework and come to know each college. And I think when students do that, it's more clear where there is a fit. So mm-hmm. I was thinking, for example, I used to work at Pomona College in Claremont, California. Mm-hmm. So not too far from Redondo Beach. No. <laughs> and I love that consortium. Yeah. There, that so, whole yeah, it's a wonderful, yeah. wonderful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, so you know there are five undergraduate colleges all basically across the street from one another, and each has a very different persona. So Pomona College, where I worked, identifies itself as a premier liberal arts institution that is a close-knit and diverse community of accomplished scholars, scientists, entrepreneurs, and artists um, who are passionate about making a difference in the world. And it it stresses a comprehensive curriculum that's strong across the board and states quite directly, you know, we seek the brightest, most talented, most driven students from all over the world. So I think that's a pretty good signal to students about what they need to be like and eager to engage in what kind of a community that creates. Um, Claremont McKenna is renowned for expertise in economics and government and emphasizes the integration of leadership and innovation. And CMC says that they teach leaders leaders how to make an impact and succeed in today's world. So again, a very different message that is coming from that college. And and it goes down the list, right? Every college, most colleges, I should say, are pretty clear about what their mission is and culture is. And, you know, it's never been as easy as it is today to really learn in depth about a college because websites now are just so rich. There's no excuse for not doing your homework, right? <laughs> and it's really important to just find the right match to know, as you said, the culture of the institution. I think Bobby's son looked at Harvey Mudd. Isn't that a part of that? Yes. Yeah, yeah. We, we did check out Harvey Mudd. We, everybody knows it's a great, great school, but it wasn't the fit for him. He he didn't end up applying. Mm, I, I loved it. Yeah. I loved Harvey Mudd myself, <laughs> but I guess I wasn't going to college. So. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Unfortunately, you couldn't make the choice. So for all the independent college counselors out there, or just college counselors in general, can Mm -hmm. you describe what an overpackaged applicant looks like? And what is the best advice you could give to people working with students, how we can best help so that this doesn't become the case? Yeah, well, you're right that overpackaging is not just the provenance of independent counselors, right? There's there are a lot of great independent counselors and anyone can overpackage, including parents or students themselves. And so in the book that Christine and Vandevelde and I wrote, we described an overpackaged student as someone who sounded more like an adult than a young person mm-hmm. and who lacked authenticity to the point where that became obvious to an admission officer. It's one of those, you know, you know it when you see it things. So I think mm-hmm. I, I, you know, I was, I did college counseling for a year and it, it is a very challenging job, but I think there is a line that you can cross where what is being produced by the student is no longer truly theirs. And that's right. the line that you want to avoid. And the mission counselors or mission people can definitely spot that, right? Like a mile away. <laughs> you know, that- I'm sure there are people they miss, but um, mm-hmm. that's an awfully big chance. And probably not the message 
as grown-ups we want to be sending to students in this process that who they are themselves is not enough and it has to be enhanced. And I wouldn't want to do that. So for all students out there, be authentic. (laughs) Stay true to yourself. So for listeners that are interested in becoming a dean of admissions, I have just a few questions about that job. What is the best way to go about becoming a dean of admissions if someone's interested in pursuing that? You know, it's one of those jobs where there's no specific major or preparation and people who are interested in it often get a job in the admission or financial aid office while they're a student and learn as much as they can. So that's probably the most common way to just sort of get your foot in the door. And exactly. That said, that wasn't me. I I never worked in uh, the (laughs) office. I just worked out and that someone leaving their job in the admission office to go to grad school mentioned to me that she loved it. And I thought, what the heck? And I think that just, just underscores how much serendipity is a part of people's you know, career pathing and life development. And that is is very true. Yeah, so true. Very present and open to what might come your way can be can be important. But is there a better college major college degree to pursue if you think maybe someday I'd love to be a dean of admissions? You know, there really isn't there is no training for it. I think okay, I think a liberal arts background is probably the best in that it teaches you to think critically and to communicate persuasively. And that's a lot mm-hmm. of what college admissions is as well. Yeah. And that can prepare yes. you for a number of things in life. Exactly. Or... Exactly. I think yeah. that's a, you know, the way to, um, to protect yourself against a rapidly changing job market, for example. Right. To have a foundation that you can sort of change with right. the times. So could you speak to what the advantages and drawbacks are of the position or what a typical day is like on the job? You know, it's a wonderful job, especially for people right out of college. They get to travel the country and the world and talk with young people and families about college education and and typically about a place they love because often they're working at the place they went to college themselves and they get to help make people's dreams happen. So you know what could be better? Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> So a typical day would be like traveling and talking to students. Yeah. I mean, I think one of the things that I really loved about the job was that there was no one typical day. You're always meeting new people, considering new problems and challenges, helping advance your institution. I will say that you have to genuinely, that you have to genuinely like young people to do that job and you have to like engaging with them and their families and you also have to like being on a college campus and being around faculty members and other college leaders um, if you're going to be a dean of admission you have to like leading a team of admission officers because no one does that job alone there's a whole group of people at any one college or university right. makes total sense and as a dean of admissions do you have to structure the whole philosophy or how admissions is run or is are you held accountable for how many students apply and that sort of thing you are held accountable um, for how many students apply and how many enroll. Um, but typically, the philosophy that guides the selection process stems out of uh, faculty governance and institutional mm-hmm. bylaws. So it's not something that, you know, you may tinker around the edges, but you don't wholesale sort of define how an institution is going to go about their selection process. That makes sense. 
Yeah. Sort of look to the mission statement, maybe, of the institute. I just wanted to see if I could ask a couple curiosity questions, probably because I've been just in the middle of it. Okay. So do you think a liberal arts education is the best choice? Um, I think that a liberal arts education is a very good choice for most, but not all students. Um, certainly, I think mm-hmm. there are some students who are going to pick a, a more defined path, whether it is, you know, a more direct career preparation or, for example, engineering. But I think that it is very important to take liberal arts courses and the liberal arts approach that really stresses having a sort of multidisciplinary framework or context in which to place a more specialized study of one or two areas. And I think doing that teaches students a great deal about how to think critically and to be lifelong learners and persuasive communicators. And also yeah. maybe be exposed to some things they might not have Absolutely. otherwise that may turn out to Yeah, I think them. that's a great yeah. point. You know, so many students change their majors multiple times after they discover some exciting new areas. Yes. Absolutely. And it's just a quick question that we came across with the, my son's doing the Common App essay was, should you title it? A title to your essay. Question. It's a practical question, but it's right. one of those things where we said, geez, does this deserve a title? Yeah. I mean, I think it probably, there are probably some essays that can benefit from a wonderful and truly apt title. And my guess is that there are a whole bunch of essays where that's not what is going to make the difference, where it's really about the substance or depth in the essay itself. And so I think the point there is for students to really explore a topic in depth and worry less about to really spend time worrying, thinking about the substance of what they're trying to communicate and making sure that they use their essay to do that in a way that reveals something truly meaningful about themselves. Yeah. Okay. Well, so with the baby boomer children past the college age, the rise in college tuition and the difficulty of getting a good paying job for a lot of college graduates because of the economic situations or whatever the factors are, um, how do you think all of this will change the landscape of colleges and universities? You know, I think the landscape is a is a rapidly changing one. We look at the number of institutions that are merging or closing, and I think that that it it takes a lot for an institution to be successful in this in this time. But those that are successful are both offering outstanding educations, and they are fortunate to be well endowed. And so I think those institutions will be surviving. It's so interesting that the Ivy Leagues are the oldest colleges and they're still in existence. There must be something to just being old and stand the test of time. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. We actually, our niece is at Hampshire College and she announced Oh. Yeah. yeah. And she announced that. She's pretty sad about it. And what year is she at Hampshire? Will she be finishing there? Yes. She's luckily graduating. So, Uh. but she's, yeah, she's sad that it's not going to be possibly will not be in existence or maybe brought into another university. But, yeah. Yeah. So, okay, let's go on to Whit Kiefer. Robin, please tell us about your current position as managing partner and practice leader of education for the executive search firm Whit Kiefer. 
Sure. So WorkKeeper helps organizations that exist to improve the quality of life, and it helps these organizations find their next generation of leaders. And WorkKeeper has several core practices, primarily education and healthcare. And we also do work in academic medicine where education and healthcare meet. And then in addition and also related, we have a thriving life sciences practice. And for me, mostly I work with colleges and universities that are hiring senior leadership. So I do searches for presidents, vice presidents, and academic deans. But in addition, I manage a practice of roughly 50 people, counting consultants and also administrative assistants and coordinators and researchers who work together on behalf of colleges, universities, and related schools and organizations. So you have quite an extensive staff of people working on this Right. There's a, there's a, there are about 30 consultants who are supported by another team of roughly 20 people. That's a good-sized group. But mm-hmm. I'm sure you need it to do this job. So what can you tell us about educational recruiting? Let's start by saying is that educational recruiting is the only kind of recruiting I've ever done. So um, yes. I don't know much uh, you know, about other kinds of recruiting. But I would say that the people who work in education are highly mission-driven and motivated to have a positive impact on the world around them. So we tend to look for people who fit that. And, and, and by the time people are ready to become presidents and vice presidents, they've typically spent many, many years in higher education already and have good track records. Right. They've either been professors or in administration or somewhere in the shore. Even though it's hard to find really good candidates, that's probably a good avenue to look, obviously, right? right? Right. Yeah. So how do the leadership needs differ for a private institution versus a public institution? You know, these days, given declining support for public education, there's less and less difference between privates and publics. So we see people moving freely from one sector to the other. Um, Generally speaking, and there are some exceptions, leaders of public institutions need to build and maintain especially strong relationships with elected and governmental officials. But certainly that's also increasingly an expectation for those at private institutions as well. There are some generalities between the larger universities and smaller colleges. Larger universities are generally more complex, and so candidates need to be able to negotiate that complexity. Smaller colleges are generally but not always more relationship-driven, so the way each gets things done can be different one to the other. Hmm. Yeah, I have to say in my current experience, so my son has applied to some big universities and then some smaller liberal arts colleges. And I have to say the communication from the smaller liberal arts colleges is amazing. (laughs) It's just beyond my expectations. So it's just interesting the difference between the two. But it sounds like you need to look for special qualities in your candidates or potential candidates that they're very different type of positions, it sounds like. Right, Mm -hmm. right. Mm -hmm. Okay, so what what is your trend on how long higher educational leaders stay in their jobs? And is there a lot of turnover in that position? You know, it depends on the position, but presidents are staying in their jobs on average less than seven years now. And chief academic officers on average stay fewer than four years. So these are very challenging and high stress positions and turnover can be significant. So what we 
see are institutions that are very aware that they may have people for a short time, but they're looking for strong leaders and change makers who are going to make an impact while they are there. And then if they get them for longer, you know, they consider that a bonus. Oh, that's interesting. So come in and make a strong statement. And then if you lose them, at least you've had some productive changes. Right. Right. And also that keeps you very busy, Robin, because that is a pretty rapid turnover. Right. I can see why your position is needed with that much turnover. Yes. Right. Yeah. Right. I, I understand it as well. I'm sure that's a stressful position. It oh takes my gosh. tons of energy and lots yeah. of criticism, I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. You have to have a thick skin. Yeah. So how important is diversity when recruiting higher education leadership? And how is the concept of diversity evolving? Yeah, diversity is essential. It can't be overstated. College and university leaders are expected these days to possess a sophisticated and nuanced understanding of the ways in which their institution is enriched by a broad diversity of backgrounds and viewpoints and in which excellence and inclusion are interwoven so that one is just not possible without the other. And they're also expected Mm -hmm. to understand the various ways in which their institutions are experienced differently by different people. So the concepts of diversity and inclusion have evolved tremendously over the last decade and even over the last few years. It's no longer about any one dimension. It's a broad complex of factors and backgrounds and realities. Do they also take that into consideration when building a class, that that's an instrumental part? They do, yes. Yeah, that makes sense. When I was reading the links associated with your name on your Whitkiefer website in the book, um, You Just Don't Understand by Deborah Tanner, mm-hmm. I I was really interested in her report versus report talk. And this is going back to more the interview when you're interviewing men and women for these positions and how the style of a woman being interviewed versus how men come in and they own their space, as you were talking about. Um, Women use qualifiers. Men men say, I can do that. But I like how, in the end, you were saying how it's important for the recruiting team to find the best person, not necessarily the person that comes in and is the most, I don't know, confident. Probably not the right word, but Right. We talk with clients about that all the time and search committees that Mm -hmm. um, interviewing really well is different from doing a job really well and that their job is to weed through the the signals from the interview to find the real substance. Yeah. I just thought those were good tips for any job interview when I was reading that and things to keep in mind for sure. What is important to consider when hiring a chief educational officer? Yeah, our research has shown that higher education leaders tend to have the same key leadership qualities as strong leaders in any field or industry, but The difference is that they are more mission-driven, and they tend to make decisions through a more inclusive process. By inclusive, what do you mean by that? They um, welcome more viewpoints while they um, gather information prior to making a key decision, rather than it being more top-down and gathering perhaps just the input of a few key leaders who are close to them. That's so Mm. interesting. So who do you think they would look to for that? Well, oftentimes Mm. with major decisions for a university, presidents are consulting not only their boards, but the entire, there's, there's a shared governance process that is mandated by institutional bylaws where they have to go through 
various committees or a faculty senate, and then oftentimes there may be a staff governance body and, and a student governance body as well. So it's a much broader set of consultations that they move through. Interesting. Yeah. So what are the pressures the institution and the search committee face in finding an exceptional presidential candidate? Yeah, it's a great question. I think colleges and universities today face enormous pressure in seeking their next presidents. And these are make or break decisions. So make or break positions, I should say. And so the cost of a so-so higher rather than an exceptional one is monumental. And adding to this, and we talked about this a few minutes ago, the higher education landscape is changing dramatically. So the qualities that make a president successful, that made a president successful 15 years ago, are not the qualities that will necessarily make them successful in 2025. So successful presidents today are highly strategic and visionary promoters of their institutions. They see opportunities where others do not, and they build collaborations and partnerships that deepen and expand the reach of their institutions. They promote excellence and innovation across every aspect of their institutions and their, their job responsibilities are immense and they have to work constantly to improve their institution's visibility and reputation. And they're, they're their own institution's recruiter in chief. So they have to work always to attract the strongest possible cohort of institutional leaders and faculty, staff, and students. It's 24-7, 365. So the energy and commitment required is tremendous. Wow. I can imagine. When you talk about connections, would that be like connecting with Mm -hmm. businesses? Exactly. Just any any aspects of the community? All of those. Um, All of those. You know, the the colleges and universities that are often thriving these days are ones that are closely tied to their communities as well as to um, other organizations and rather than the old model of being, you know, an ivory tower. Right. Mm -hmm. Makes so much sense. And when you're talking about building a future, are you trending towards younger candidates for that reason? Or do you feel like... No. In fact, I think the um, average age of college presidents is getting older and older. It's 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 a challenging job. People want those who are seasoned and, um, you know, 65 is the new 55. So... That's right, Robin. Absolutely, yeah. There are a lot of people with very progressive and forward-thinking ideas that are older, and they also have the wisdom of drawing on all their life experience. Exactly. Sure. And I would imagine part of all this is, along with communities and local businesses and businesses around the university, are any international counterparts that they might be able to work with to promote international communication with enrolling more students and also just um, opportunities abroad? Sure. I mean, I think the whole world is getting smaller, right? And many colleges and universities in the United States have opened up thriving campuses overseas, and a number of overseas institutions um, are are showing up more and more in the U.S. So I think there's um, an expectation that students are globally educated and that knowledge is crossing uh, geographic borders. Okay, yeah, I think that's really important. And I think it's great for students to get that experience too, to travel when they can. It builds knowledge and above all, empathy. (laughs) It is. So 
how important is it for a presidential candidate to, to generate revenue for an institution? Oh, it's it's one of the key job responsibilities today. So mm-hmm. it's absolutely something that they need to be able to do. Honestly, I think that's the basic price of admission these days. Presidents that can't raise money are rarely invited to stick around for long. Um, it's just a, a right. critical uh, part of the job. Oh, I can imagine. I wonder how they go about doing that. Well, they have staff that help a great deal with that. And so whole mm-hmm. fundraising arms and uh, sometimes even armies to um, <laughs> help make all that happen. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure. Some. What are the top qualities you look for in a candidate? I know you spoke about this a little bit, but if you could touch on that yeah, a little we, more. We talked a little about what's required today, but there's a sophistication and skill that President need now that goes well beyond what was needed before and that colleges and universities have reached the point where they can no longer just keep raising their prices however high they want. So there's a much greater need for leaders who are creative and entrepreneurial and who can manage an academic enterprise that must be both exceptional as a learning institution and well managed as a as a business or an enterprise. It must be important to have an idea of where the most effective ways to cut expenses or how to do things more efficiently, maybe. Yes. And I think like so many uh, places, good leaders know how to enlist the aid of experts. So we see a lot of institutions bringing in some firms to help them take a look at where they might have redundancies or areas that can be consolidated without harming the education they're offering to their students. That makes sense for sure. So Robin, how is technology changing the landscape? That's such a good question. And it's certainly one we're looking into our crystal ball and trying to figure out as well. I think what we know is that technology has dramatically changed the landscape for positions that are a bit more junior to the ones that we recruit for. So, you know, we're seeing for jobs elsewhere in the organizations, um, we're seeing a lot more done by LinkedIn and a lot more, you know, oftentimes interviewing first through a computer or through artificial intelligence versus a real human being. At the level of the leadership of presidents and vice presidents, um, technology hasn't caught up yet. Uh, to that. So our sense is that, you know, five or 10 years from now, recruiting will look different than it does today because of technology. We just don't yet know how it's going to look. Right. And it's ever changing. So we just, you have to keep changing with it. I do see a trend of a lot of institutions providing more and more online courses from their angle, different than the recruiting angle. We see that too, although that has, for many institutions, it does not replace their undergraduate core. It really enhances and extends their reach um, through extension courses or graduate kinds of programs. Well, that's an important job you guys have there at Wake Kiefer. Having a good, strong university system in this country is part of what makes us strong and educating our students today to help make us all better going forward. It's an important job. Absolutely. Just one final question from me. Do you have any interesting placement stories? Yeah. Oh, gosh. Um, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I mean, at, you know, every place that I work with is I fall in love with. So, you know, it's always uh, 
whatever we've just done has been, you know, the most wonderful and gratifying piece of work. Um, so I, it's, it's very challenging to pick just one. Yeah. And if there's anybody interested in joining Whitkeeper or a position similar to that type, is there any tips or recommendations you could offer them? Yeah, I, I think um, when we're hiring our search consultants, we look for initiative and energy and responsiveness and project management and being able to communicate well and forge strong connections with individuals and with groups. I think a lot of people, when they move into search, move into search through their own industry. So if they're working in higher education, for example, then they might move over to search for colleges and universities. And so if they can, while they're still at a college or university, if they can get on a search committee at their own organization, that's ideal. And once they've done that, they can volunteer to manage searches on behalf of their institutions. So working closely with search consultants can be a good entree in. And so you offer other areas, right? Like healthcare we and do. other? Yes, we do. And also life sciences. Wow. Yeah. So you're saying the best candidate would have come from that background before. Typically, yes, because there is some content expertise that is that is important to the work. I can imagine. Yeah. So for any of our listeners that belong to an institution and are looking for leaders, what is the best way to get in touch with you? Should they just go to the Whitkeefer website? Or? Yeah. The, I mean, if you can surf, you can find us. And and if you go to our website, there's a contact button that you can click on and then the form pops up and it's pretty easy to get through. Okay. It's been so wonderful to have you on. I think you offered some great insight to the college admissions process and to anyone thinking about being a dean of admissions. And also for any institutions looking for a leader, you should definitely get in touch with Robin or if you need any potential candidates. Thanks so much for coming on and doing the podcast. It's been a pleasure talking with both of you and what a fun project that you're doing together. It sounds really great. Thank you, Robin. Have a great day. You too. Bye-bye. Wow. Have you ever had a chance to speak with someone with so much experience in college admissions? No, I haven't. And I feel so lucky that we were able to. I mean, it's not every day you get to speak to the former dean of admissions of Stanford. I know, right? I would love to pick her brain for hours. I bet she has some stories to share, but obviously could not disclose some of those on a podcast. Yeah, that might not go over too well. With all her experience, a vast understanding of a wide variety of institutional cultures, I can't imagine a person better suited to finding educational leaders. Absolutely. How cool is it that she carved out this new role for herself that just naturally builds on all of her years of experience? It's very cool. So if there is any college or university out there looking for your next leader, please contact Robin at Wick Kiefer. The link will be in the show notes. Also, anyone interested in learning more about the college admissions process from an insider slash expert in the field, definitely pick up Robin's book on college admissions. You will find the link to purchase that book in our show notes. And as a final note, anyone interested in learning more about our business, academic and career advising services, we invite you to visit our website and we will include that link in the show notes. We assist people with changing careers, possibly finding that first job out of college, the college admissions process, selecting an academic major, deciding on a career, or things of that nature. You can check it all out 
on our website, Academic and Career Advising Services. We are located in Kennebunk, Maine. However, for your convenience, we also offer video conferencing services. You're never too old to change your career or to go back to college, and you're never too young to begin thinking about your future. We enjoy serving people of all ages. If you enjoyed listening to today's podcast and would like to help us out, could you please leave a rating or review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts? This really helps others to find our podcast. We would greatly appreciate it. Also, to get all the latest on upcoming episodes, please follow us on social media. All of those links will be included in the show notes. Thank you and have a great day. Thanks so much for listening.